So um, before we get started with the lesson, is anyone familiar with the, with the uh, title of the lesson? You know what the word simony means? Okay. Uh, simony traditionally meant the buying and selling of offices within the church. Uh, it was a, a common practice in the Middle Ages where a church office could be purchased with money or influence, uh, like a bishop's office could be bought for money, or, or a cardinal's office, or maybe church vestments, um, or even living quarters on the church grounds. Um, and it was actually through simony that money was collected to build the, uh, the cathedral of St. Peter's in Rome. Uh, so today we're, we're going to study a, a man who actually gave simony his name. Uh, and you can see the study verses there, um, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 9. But just for context, we're actually going to go back uh, to verse 4, just so that we get an idea of exactly where we are. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So just uh, an idea of where we are. You can see on the map the city of Samaria, it's probably too small from where you are, uh, is right in the center of the map. Um, and Nazareth, is near the top of the map. Jerusalem is off the map to the bottom. And so it's about a 40 mile distance between Jerusalem and Nazareth. So you can see what's, what's in between there. And the city of Samaria itself, right there in the center of the map, is where our study passages take place. So let's look at the first set of passages here. There we go. So a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. 
Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him for, because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. So here we're introduced to Simon where some translations say that he had previously practiced magic. Um, but a more accurate use of the words are what we see here in the New Living Translation where it says that he had been pa practicing sorcery for many years, meaning that this was still going on. And the, the Greek word for sorcerer is actually maguo, uh, which is the root for our English word magic. And where we also get the name magi, uh, the magi were, were a priestly order that originated from the Median or, or Persian empires centuries before this account that we're studying. But in Matthew's gospel uh, in chapter two, magi is used in a positive sense. The, the magi were kingmakers of the ancient world. The, when they saw the star, they, they knew that it was a sign that the Messiah of the Jews had been born. And so they followed it. Here in Acts chapter eight, the word maguo is used in a negative sense because the magi in the book of Acts, these sorcerers, practice magic and invoke supernatural powers. So was Simon actually a magician or was he just an illusionist? We, we don't really know, but we do know that he was impressing a lot of people in the city of Samaria. And he was claiming to be someone great, which points to his pride and his arrogance. And he was getting a lot of attention because of, of his magical abilities um, in, in the study verse here, instead of the word amazing, uh, some of the other translations use the word astonished. And the King James Version actually uses the word bewitched, which is, which is a little more accurate. And Luke is telling us that the people were being more than just tricked or gaslighted by Simon, which hi may hint at him being more than just an illusionist. And the people thought of, of Simon as some type of god maybe even a messenger, maybe they mistook him as some type of messiah. But then Philip comes along and he takes the attention away from Simon. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So now Philip comes along and he's, he's preaching the gospel. And so people in Samaria hear this and they, along with Simon, start to believe in Philip. And, and not only are they believing in what Philip is preaching, they're also getting baptized as well, including Simon. But what we're not told is actually what Simon believed. Did he actually believe the words that Philip had preached or did he just see signs? You know, Simon's faith most likely was not in the word of God. Most scholars agree that he was just seeing the signs um, and miracles that, that Philip had performed. And of course, Simon would be the one to get baptized because his audience had just gone to someone else. He, was, he saw a, a better act than his own and, and it says he was amazed. But uh, that amazement wa was more of a, I need to learn how this is done because Simon envied what Philip was doing. Why, why else would Simon make a, a profession of faith, get baptized and start hanging out with Philip? Like a lot of people, Simon got caught up in those miracles of the moment. And so the next verse. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. 
So this may seem like an interlude or an interruption in the narrative, but it's actually not. It's, it's actually a part of Luke's narrative of Simon because it identifies a problem that the people of Samaria had and a problem that Simon had also, that all the people bap being baptized in the area did not receive the Holy Spirit upon baptism. And that sounds strange to some of us because we've all been taught that the Holy Spirit fills us at our baptism. But not in this case, and the question is why? Why didn't the Holy Spirit fill these people immediately uh, at the point of their baptism? And there's two theories. Um, the first is that they weren't genuine converts, that they were just believing and getting baptized because they were moved by what Philip had said. And, but this isn't an accepted view, actually, but it, it's, it's worth mentioning. The second theory, and this theory is accepted by most of the scholars that, I, that I've been able to research, is that in the book of Acts, the church is in a time of transition. That the, 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 we know that the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. We know the Samaritans were seen as half-breeds, not worthy of anything. And the reason that God withheld his spirit at that time was so that the apostles Peter and John would go to Samaria, and when the Holy Spirit fell on the Samaritans, that would be a unifying act for the church. You wouldn't have one side claiming that the Holy Spirit fell on them, and then the other side would say, oh, well, no, 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 that, that, that's the wrong spirit. That's not the spirit we were baptized in. So there's one spirit and one God. And so when Peter and John laid their hands on the Samaritans and they received the Holy Spirit, this was a testimony to everyone who witnessed it that both the Jews and the Samaritans, to, to all of them, that this was all real, that there is one God and that he sent his one and only son to die for all who believed in him. And the Spirit of God comes and dwells in all believers, not just the Jews and not just the Samaritans, but all who accept the Lord Jesus Christ. So two more things about this verse. First, it's a bit of a nitpick by the scholars, uh, and they've pointed it out that, and I capitalized he in verse 16 for the Holy Spirit, but interestingly enough, the, the ESV translation actually doesn't have that capitalized at all. And there's a translation out there called the New American Bible Translation, which uses it instead of he. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, the Holy Spirit's probably the most ignored person of the Trinity. And, and, but the Holy Spirit lives within all of us who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and have been baptized into, into the faith. And the Holy Spirit is someone who we can cause grief to as well, according to Ephesians chapter 4. So the Holy Spirit is a person and is God. And so Simon sees what Peter and John have done, and this is his reaction. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying of, uh, on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So now we see what's in Simon's heart. He wants to be able to do what Peter and John are doing. But we don't know exactly what he saw. Luke doesn't tell us. Did he see people speaking in tongues like, like in earlier in the book of Acts? It's, it's unknown, but it, something, there was something there that Simon saw that had amazed him so much that he needed to have it and he was willing to pay for it. And there's another thing that Luke doesn't mention. Luke doesn't write that Peter and John laid their hands on Simon, nor is it written that the Holy Spirit fell upon Simon. So we can assume based on this that Simon did not receive the Holy Spirit. And notice in, in verse 19, in which Simon's, in where he speaks, he doesn't say, please give me this power. 
It's more of a demand. It's as if he's saying, Peter and John, you give me this power because I want to call the Holy Spirit down so that he will fall on people as well. I want to have this power just like the two of you. And notice, too, that he doesn't say anything along the lines of, give me this power so that people will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of their sins and be filled with the Holy Spirit so they can follow Jesus. All Simon saw here was, was more money and, and, and more fame, and he, and he saw the Holy Spirit as just another magic act that he could use to elevate his status in Samaria. And, and who knows, maybe he, he would take this thing on the road and, and go from town to town making more money. And, because in, in his mind, he was thinking, I can cash in on this. I'll be in the spotlight again, and everyone will think that I'm somebody. And so Peter responds, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. So according to several Bible translators, pretty much all of, or uh, according to Bible scholars, pretty much all of the Bible translations have lightened the tone of this verse. And the late pastor J.B. Phillips, who was also a Bible translator, Basically, basic, he says basically what, what should be said here is, Simon, you and your money are going to hell because of your attitude and your motivation. So the Greek word for perish means total and utter destruction. This is basically a curse against Simon, that Simon will, Simon's end will be death and hell. And also in this verse, Peter calls the Holy Spirit the gift of God. And we all know that that a genuine gift is something that's given freely, that has no price attached to it, and, and doesn't require anything in return. Next, Peter says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you were in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So Peter is addressing Simon almost as if he's an unbeliever, or, or maybe something more specific would be Simon is a fake believer. He's the, the type of believer who says all of the right things when people are looking, but deep down in his heart, he doesn't mean anything, any of it at all. His, his faith was just an act because he didn't genuinely respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter says that Simon cannot share in this inheritance of the kingdom of God because his heart is not right before God. So if you notice that the Greek word for right in verse 21 means straight line. So Simon's heart is crooked. And the the New Jerusalem Bible translation renders the last part of verse 21 as, God can see how your heart is warped. And the God's Word translation says, God can see how twisted your thinking is. So the Greek word that Peter uses for wickedness is poneria, which means the compulsive determination to continue in a direction that we know is wrong. It's when sin is the focus of our lives to the point that we no longer want to change and where we want God to approve of that sin and bless it. It's when we say, oh, God will forgive me regardless of what I do. And and Simon has what's called an unregenerate heart, meaning that he hasn't repented, that he is still a captive to sin, which is why Peter tells him in verse 22 that he needs to repent and to pray. And Peter is is telling Simon that you need to do that now 
Don't delay. Repent now, believe now, and you will receive forgiveness for the corruption that's in your heart. Repentance is more than just a, it, than a head thing. It's a heart thing. It's, it's not academic knowledge. It's, it's putting that into practice. That's what Peter is telling Simon to do. He's telling Simon, put away your old self, Simon. Give up on the greed. Give up the need for attention and the need to be seen and the need to be honored and glorified by the people in Samaria. Give it up. Give that all up is what Peter is saying. And if you let it go, you will be forgiven. The Greek word used for maybe forgiven is afiamai. And it means to forsake oneself. It means to put away something in your life. It means to disregard it, to lay it aside, to cast it aside. And Peter reinforces what he says through verse 23, because to be in the gall of bitterness is a phrase that means to be bitterly envious and to be poisoned by bitterness. That was the root of Simon's problem. He was envious so that he wanted to be higher than anyone else. Someone had stole his magic act, so he wanted to be on top of that. But upon hearing these words from Peter, here is Simon's response. Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And this may sound like repentance, but it's not. He hasn't said that he's going to turn from his wicked ways or even that he actually heard and understood and accepted what Peter said to him. In fact, he wants Peter and John to pray for him. He doesn't want to pray for himself. And he, he's, he's not asking for the forgiveness of his sins because he wants to be able to escape the consequences of those sins because he intended to continue doing what he was doing. He was passing the responsibility of praying for his salvation on someone else. And this is one of the signs of, of an unbeliever or a sign of a false convert. They don't have the genuine faith of their own to be, uh, because they only believe in themselves or, they, or they, they don't think that they can do any wrong. And, and Simon should have been the one praying and he should have been the one repenting not someone else on his behalf. And, and it's been such a blessing that John has been presenting a series uh, of lessons on prayer for the past few weeks because as, as John said last week, prayer is what you give from your heart. And you can see that Simon's heart was definitely in the wrong place. Um, Pastor R. Kent Hughes actually has the following definition for simony, um, which applies to our modern age. He says, preaching to gain recognition or status is simony. Serving with an eye to advancement in the church's power structure is simony. Seeking spiritual gifts for the promotion of oneself is simony. Even seeking to be godly so others will think we are godly is a type of simony. And the modern church has, has way too many people like this. And, and Simon the magician's life serves as a warning to all of us to examine our motives for being part of a church and for claiming to be followers of Christ. So what Simon got wrong. So four lessons that I'll pull out of this and then four questions. So the first thing is that Simon had an inaccurate and twisted understanding of Christianity. So do any of you think that Satan is actually opposed to any of us being in church? Satan absolutely wants all of us in church so long as the music entertains and the preaching stirs us all up and we feel good about ourselves. 
Satan's okay with that as long as you buy into a false religion and a false gospel that focuses on self-help, self-love, self-righteousness, and speaks nothing of self-denial and of the repentance of sin and submission to God. Simon believed and he was baptized, but he had a faulty understanding of what faith in God really is. He sought the things of God without wanting a relationship with God. And he believed in signs and not the salvation given through the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a faith that did not save. He saw religion as a magic act and a way to make money and to draw in a crowd and to build up his reputation. So the genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pursue Christ, whereas false converts and false followers of Christ, uh, we probably could call them virtue signalers in the modern world, they pursue power, they pursue riches, they pursue fame, and they think that going to church will give that to them. The second lesson we can pull out is that he was more concerned about avoiding judgment and hell than getting right with God. That's not faith, and, and if it is, it's a misplaced faith. It, it's a faith that does not save. It's a faith that only wants to escape from hell but wants nothing to do with Jesus. And, and a person with that type of faith doesn't actually want Jesus to return because that f person wants to have as much pleasure from this world as possible. And Jesus is just going to get in the way with that, uh, in the way of that. Showing up on Sunday and just checking the box it, and, and thinking that you can buy your way to heaven by s being seen in church or, or being seen doing good works. That's not a genuine faith because we, we know, we all know, Sunday, Sunday morning is not a place to go and where you can get your get out of hell free card, right? Sunday morning worship is about worshiping our creator, is about worshiping our savior and worshiping the Holy Spirit. Third thing, he didn't realize that everything God has is not for sale. So nothing God has is for sale. The Holy Spirit is a gift. He's, he's not a commodity to be bought or to be sold to the highest bidder. And all Simon wanted was he wanted another trick that he could pull out of his magician's bag uh, in order to wow and scam an audience. His, his bag of tricks was how he made a living. And we already know this, but it's, it's worth repeating that you can't buy your way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. Salvation is a free gift from God. And the only thing that we can bring to God is our sin and our confession of that sin and our repentance of that sin. If, if we actually contribute anything to our salvation, then it's our surrender to God. So the fourth thing, Simon had an unregenerate heart. So Simon never responded to the gospel because Simon was driven by greed and the love of money and the love of reputation and the love of greatness. Saving faith is, is more than just praying a prayer and asking Jesus into your heart because many people do that and yet their actions say differently. You can say all the right things, again, you can, and, and still not be saved. You can do a whole bunch of good works and still not be saved. But the Holy Spirit changes us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us when we're tempted and tells us that the sinful thoughts that we're having are detestable. A faith that does not transform your life is not a saving faith. And we will all absolutely make mistakes. But a faithful person who is filled with the Holy Spirit will gradually sin less often. And when we do sin, we will feel regret. We will feel remorse. We will repent. And we will ask for forgiveness. 
forgiveness from God and if we've hurt someone, then forgiveness from the person that we've hurt. Repentance is essential and it's what Simon refused to do. So four questions we need to ask ourselves. So the first question is, do you know the difference between false preaching and God's true gospel? When religion and when the pulpit is used to make a, the person standing there look great, where the person at the pulpit is exalted over the Lord Jesus Christ, then that's a false view of Christianity. When the church and the preacher focus on material possessions that you can gain now by going to church, then that's a false view of Christianity. When the church claims to have miraculous healing powers and all you have to do is donate more money or buy their books in exchange for that healing or in exchange for their prayers for you, then that's a false view of Christianity. The pulpit is where the word of God is preached. It is not a place for preaching yourself or for becoming famous or for showing off your oratorial skills. All of these things lead to corruption. The second question we need to ask ourselves is, do you have a realistic view of your faith? And another way to put this is maybe, is faith just a bag of tricks for some people? It's been said that, and I don't recall which scholar said this, but he said, faith is the trusting in God and repentance is the turning away from sin. And you can't have one without the other. As we turn to God in faith, we are turning from our sin. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to accomplish in us. And so are people too proud to see their faults and failings? Are they too blinded by their own pride to take accountability for their actions? Simon's major flaw was that he didn't want to accept the fact that he actually needed to repent. And one of the saddest things that, that people are starting to notice about the modern church is the, the inability or unwillingness by people to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry seems to have been replaced with, well, that's, that's just who I am. Question three, are you just a church onlooker like Simon? So watching, watching from a distance, someone who likes watching the sport, knowing all of the players and all of their statistics, but when you're called upon to participate, you make excuses about actually going out there and playing. Because it's entirely possible, actually, it's a, it's, it's a reality that for, for someone to be in church and to, to know of Jesus and to be able to quote every single Bible verse there from memory and yet not be filled with the Holy Spirit and not be saved. And this isn't the only instance in the Bible. There are other instances besides this of people who professed faith and weren't saved. You can't have God on your own terms. You can only have God and have the Holy Spirit if you surrender control of your life to God and you allow God to determine the direction of your life instead of you running your own life. We're supposed to conform our lives to the word of God, not try to make the word of God conform to our lives. Which leads us to the final question. If God told you that you needed to give up, would you? And insert what you're most afraid of giving up in that blank space there. It could be the first thing that popped into your head. That the things that we won't give up because we want to rise higher, to be more famous, to show others that we're better than them and that they don't have what we have, those things become our false religion. Are we capable of giving those things up? 
And so here's one final definition of simony, this time by the late pastor Lloyd J. Ogilvie. Simony is the desire to have the life Christ promises without the surrender of all life to him. So we can't experience regeneration um, or the regeneration that comes from the Holy Spirit without surrender. We surrender to the truth of the gospel. We surrender to the truth that we can't save ourselves. We surrender to the truth that salvation is not through works, but through Christ alone. And we surrender through repentance and we turn towards God. And so we don't, we don't know what became of Simon after his encounter with Peter and John, but he's mentioned nowhere else in the Bible. The, the early church fathers believe that Simon may have started a movement that eventually became known as Gnosticism, but that's unconfirmed. Um, but what's certain is that because Simon never repented, never wanted to change direction, never wanted to give up what he was doing, that he didn't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so I'll leave you with one final quote. Uh, Thomas Watson, he was a Puritan preacher from the 1600s, wrote a book titled The Doctrine of Repentance. Uh, and the first two sentences of his book are an appropriate way to bring this lesson to a close. Watson writes, the two great graces essential to a saint in this life are faith and repentance. These are the two wings by which he flies to heaven. And one would never think that repentance would be one of those wings that takes us up to heaven, but it is. And I encourage you to find these wings if you haven't because those are the wings that, that are provided to us by the Holy Spirit, because of the wings that we make for ourselves will never lift us up. And when you grab hold of those wings and let them grow on you, don't be satisfied with just sitting around and watching other people take flight. You go and you use your wings of faith and the wing of repentance and dare to fly on your own.